This morning's scripture reading is Ezra 3, verses 1 through 7 and 10 through 11. If you're able, please stand in reverence for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. And if you're unable to stand, join us now in lifting your hearts. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set their altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they burned burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required, and after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the fedek but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Macaulay. Good morning again. It is, it is so very good to be with you uh, on this Sabbath morning. My name is Harrison Spittler. I'm a pastor of discipleship and renewal here at HHPC. Uh, I know that I've not met all of you, and that's my loss. Uh, I'd love to correct that, change that. So if you uh, have the time, introduce yourself to me, and let's, let's get to know each other a little bit. Let's go to the Father in prayer, can we? Father, Lord, thank you for letting us uh, come before your throne with freedom and confidence. Lord, you invite us, uh, you command us to come to you. So Father, even at this moment, we, we come and, and we lay our hearts before you and pray that you would transform us. Father, I pray that you would take away the hard places in our hearts that we hide behind. That you'd mend the broken places. Lord, that you'd take away our fears and fill us with your faith. I pray that you remove the scales from our eyes so that we see you, so that we see you clearly. 
Father, I pray for this one that would preach your word this morning. Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. For you alone are worthy of glory and praise and honor. Because of Jesus, amen. Amen. I look at this passage um, that we've read and um, I try to put myself in, in the shoes of the Israelites and I just can't. Can you imagine what that must have been like? This is where they've been. They'd been uh, captured by, uh, by the Babylonians. They'd been carted off into, into slavery, into bondage for, for 50 years now. More will travel back uh, over the next decade or two after this. This is 536, 537 BC. Uh, so they, they've been away from their homes, from Jerusalem, uh, for that long. New king comes into power uh, and, um, and, and tells them they go home. And actually, actually makes it possible for them to go home and, and sends back things to help them as they go home, to help in the journey. But they come back and they, they move into this, this town, this village, this walled city where the walls have crumbled, the houses have crumbled, and, and the temple's torn down, the altar is no more. And they move back to this place that was theirs by, by, by gift from God. And they're coming back in, and yet there's a bunch of people that are already there. And they're coming in, they're going to take this land back from them. They're going to open the doors to crumbling houses that somebody else claims for their own. And all around, all, all around them and the lands around them, the people that are looking at them and saying, who are you? And what right do you have to come back and take from us what we have had for the last 50 years? How do you answer that? These folks stood out. They stood out in the worship of a steadfast love of God. Do you know what it is to stand out like that? Um, I don't, not in that way. And I, I, there's places where I've stood out in life and, and wished I didn't. Uh, I was, um, was in Uganda with, with our team from a church that I planted in Charlotte. And we were planting a, um, a church planting movement, not one church, but a church planting movement. We were going to plant a church with, um, uh, with an orphanage, school, uh, medical clinic, uh, microfinance systems to, to equip the church to do the work of ministry. Uh, and then we're going to go back for three, three years in a row, uh, and we did, to help them grow stronger and equip the deacons and elders to plant other churches. So that was our vision. Uh, we went there to be in the background and, to, and so that our friends in Uganda would be uh, what people would see. Now, we didn't want to be up front. So I'm there one year, and uh, Patrick, my Ugandan friend, uh, he, he tells me, you're going to preach. <laughs> I'm going to preach. He said, you're going to preach. I said, why am I going to preach? He said, because you're the white man. I said, what? I'm not going to preach anything that you wouldn't preach. What's, what do you mean? He said, yeah, they won't come to see me, but everybody will be curious. They will want to come see the Mazunga. I said, thanks. So I'm just, you know, like on display. He said, yeah. You're on display. I love him. And, and, and they did. People came out to, to see something and hear something, and people came to hear the gospel that they'd never heard before, and we saw hundreds of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people come to know Jesus over the next few years. It stood out. 
Another time, Sandy and I were at a church in, the, in, in the Birmingham, going to hear a, a speaker, and it was an evening, and it wasn't a church that we attended. We walk in, and um, there's 1,500 people there on the ground floor, and there were no other seats, so we sit on the front, like right here, right in front of the pulpit. And the worship leader opens up the hymnal and tells everybody to turn to, I don't remember the hymn, whatever the hymn was, and everybody begins to sing, and we stood up, because that's what you do. You stand up and sing. And so, I don't know if it was third or fourth verse, but somewhere along there, we realized that out of 1,500 people, we were the only ones standing up. <laughs> we stood up and we stood out. And we, we sat down quickly, and still the pastor, when he got up, made, made mention of that. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't stand up here. They stood out like that and more because they had a faith in a steadfast God, a God that loved them with a steadfast love. The word is hesed. We'll talk more about that when we look at the final sacrifice in a few moments. That, that word hesed, it's translated as loving kindness, mercy. Lord have mercy, the song we just sang a few moments ago. Lord have hesed. Lord have mercy. Lord have loving kindness. Your, your, your faithful love to us, your steadfast love, unwavering love. They were willing to stand out in the midst of their enemies because they had faith in a God that gave, gave them a steadfast, unwavering, never-changing, never-ending love. They came in and they didn't build the walls first. They didn't build the temple first. They didn't build their homes back first. They didn't do any of that first. The first thing they built was the altar of God. This was by God's command. God commanded them, this is what you're going to do first. You're going to build the altar. And they built the altar on, its, on the original place where it was built to begin in the beginning. With everyone watching, they returned. They had been taken away from Babylon, or they'd been taken away from Jerusalem because they, they had begun to fall into syncretism, uh, over a period of years, we wander slowly into sin, don't we? And I say, we read that all we like sheep have gone straight, went to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We wander like sheep. Sheep don't just sprint full speed away. They wander slowly away from the shepherd. And they had wandered slowly away from the shepherd and begun to mingle with the, the countries around them in every way, mingle with their worship, uh, mingle with their, their, their view of marriage, mingle with their view of... Uh, of, of, of crops and their, their first fruits mingle with their view of God, mingle with every, every part of their lives begin to mingle so that they were barely distinguishable from the people around them, right? And so it's, it's taking up the secular worldviews of the religions around you and mixing it with your own and you get syncretism. Everyone in here, I would imagine, at some point has played with Plato. Maybe not. If you haven't, let me tell you, you missed something, okay? Go get some Plato. Um, what happens when you get the white Play-Doh and the pink Play-Doh and the blue Play-Doh and the green Play-Doh and you play with them for a little while and then you try and get them back in the boxes, right? In the little cartons. And, and they're all mixed up. And they're all muddled. You, you know? And they, the pink and the green and the blue are all mixed together. You, you can't separate them anymore. You, you can't ever get those separated unless you just cut out little pieces of it. You have a color that I like to call muddle because there's no other description of it. It's just all mixed together. Well, that's not what God wants from his people at this place or today. He doesn't want them muddled. He doesn't want them in syncretism with all the countries around them. He wants them set apart. The very word holy means set apart. 
right? And so he wants them holy and walking and worshiping him and him alone. And, and so the thing is that they're going to come back. They're going to come back from Babylon. And, and initially they're going to worship the Lord. But then they'll slowly begin to wander away from him again. He said, why would they do that? God's rescued them from Babylon, brought them back home. Why would they wander from him again? What is it that they need to come to the altar about so desperately? They need to build it before they do anything else. Why do they need to make burnt offerings right away before they do anything else? Because they're just like us. And we're just like them. We involve ourselves in, in syncretism and we alter our view of God, just like they did. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're thinking, yeah, not me. I'm, I'm not like them. Yeah, you are. I am and you are. We did it in a million different ways. Uh, we, we did it with fame, for example. We want to be famous. And so we want to be so famous that we're willing to, to lay down uh, God's character and, uh, and, and be more concerned about optics, what people see. Nothing wrong with being famous. Jesus was very famous. Ezra, famous. He wrote First and Second Chronicles. Ezra and Nehemiah wrote a large chunk of the Old Testament. Famous guy. Uh, Tim Keller, famous. Um, John Piper, famous. Elizabeth Elliot, famous. Sarah Young, who just went to be with the Lord, famous. Nicholas and, and uh, Latimer and Ridley, famous. Jim Elliot, famous. A lot of people have been famous, but what those individuals sought wasn't fame. What those individuals, individuals thought was Jesus. That's what they sought. So if fame comes, you're seeking Jesus, then okay. But if we're seeking fame rather than Jesus, then we're seeking to twist the character of God because that's not who he's called us to be. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. When we seek heaven over earth, we, we, we gain both. When we just seek earth before heaven, then we lose both. We're the same way. We twist the character of God. We do, it, uh, we do it with sexuality. We change what God thinks about sexuality. Well, he didn't change. We just change what we believe he thinks. His word hasn't changed. So we transform what we believe about, about marriage, about who should be married. We transform what we believe God thinks about sex, and we, we twist his way, his character we twist it with our families. We twist it with what's important in life and how we're going to make choices in business dealings because we prefer the money more than we prefer God's holiness. We twist it with worship. I mean, Hebrews 10.25 tells us to not forsake the fellowship being together of the saints. And yet we do that. And we say it's because we want our kids to grow up different. I'm going to have a chance and choice. But my friends, when, when, when you skip worship on a Sunday morning, to take your kids on a travel lacrosse or travel dance or travel baseball or they probably have travel karaoke now for all I know. <laughs> when, listen, I love you, so don't get mad at me. I'm, I'm telling you this because I love you. When, you. when you do that with your kids, what you're teaching them is that those things are more important than God. So don't be surprised when they leave your home and go to college and they walk away from, from the Lord. Now, you, you, listen, you can raise your kids perfectly and they might still go to college and walk away from the Lord. And the opposite might be true. But when we, when we, when we take our kids away from the worship of the Lord on Sunday morning with a body of believers and we take them to those outlets, whether it's whatever the sport is, it doesn't matter. 
then we're teaching them that Jesus is secondary. He's not. Jesus being secondary to sports is, is like its own sport in our country. Um, you know, my, my phone gets used on Saturdays during the fall more than any other time when I'm, I'm checking the sports scores all day long. And even this morning while I'm leaning on the counter and waiting for the coffee to brew, I'm checking to make sure that Florida really did beat Tennessee. <laughs> and they did. I, I, I'm checking again to see, okay, South Carolina won the first half. What happened? You know, did Alabama really come back and beat South Florida? Yes. Did Auburn win? Of course. You know, so you have to check those important things while the coffee's perking. But there was a time, there was a time, you know, in 91, 92, whenever it was, when um, I, would go, I would get so physically sick, nauseous before an Auburn game, football game. And I wasn't playing. I never played. But it, somehow it got a hold of my heart and I loved it more than I loved what God had. And so I had to walk away from that for a season. We deal with our comfort. We prefer comfort more than Christ. I got here and I was talking with uh, someone here uh, about men's ministry and said, yeah, yeah, it'd be great to have a men's retreat when we can get together and we can get to know each other better. Uh, we can grow in our relationship with Christ. And his response was, the men, in here, the men here don't do retreats. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, we, we prefer our... our um, Unless it's treated a hotel room or resort, we prefer our own beds over um, retreat centers. Y'all tell me that's not true. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't believe it. No, I still don't believe it. It's not true. It can't be true. But we prefer comfort more than we prefer Jesus often. Comfort's very relative in the first world versus third world, isn't it? The, the altar that God had them build first was to show them again, I am first. It's to remind them, I will come first in your everyday. In your mornings and in your evenings, I will come first. Before you build your houses, before you build your walls, before you build your businesses back, build the altar first. Worship the living Lord before you worship anything or anyone else. Worship the Lord first before anything and anyone. What would you build first? What'd you build? I don't know. I might build a wall first so that people couldn't see me worshiping the Lord. I don't know. I would hope not. What would I build? What would you build? What would you do? You see, we're really not quite that, that much different than they were. They had to be wondering what the people around them were thinking as they're pointing and watching them build the altar and begin to make these sacrifices to a God that they couldn't see. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to stand up, stand out in a secular world. Not just in Matthew 6 where he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. But in John 17, as Jesus is involved in the high priestly prayer uh, before, uh, in, in Geth at Gethsemane before he's arrested and crucified. He prays, Father, keep them in the world. Do not take them out of the world. I'm paraphrasing here. Don't take them out of the world. Keep them in the world, but not of the world. I pray they will not be of the world, but they be in the world. He calls us to live in the secular world, but he calls us not to be of the secular world. He call, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's called you to live in him, in the way he would have you to live, with the Holy Spirit living in you. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, not third because he's third in power, third in importance. 
But third, because that's when he arrived on the scene. The Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. And all three were there in creation. We know that. But the, the, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So when God calls you to walk with him and to follow in the way he's called you to walk, the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives in you to help you do that. He's giving you all the power that you need to walk in the way he's called you to walk. In his steadfast love, his never-ending, never-changing love. The Father is quite aware that those at the altar will not always put him first. He's quite aware that we won't do that. So that altar is an altar of, of sacrifice. And so from the first day that they had the altar finished, they began to alter, offer sacrifices twice a day. Once in the morning, once in the evening. In the morning as the sun's coming up, the priests are there making a sacrifice, a burnt offering. Burnt offering is mentioned six, maybe seven times in those first few verses. It's an altar of sacrifice. Then in the evening at twilight, the priests are there making another sacrifice as if they might have forgotten the one in the morning. I got to wonder about the people around. They look at that and saying, so what did you guys do overnight that you're so messed up that you've got to offer, have another burnt offering in the morning? And what did you do all day? I mean, I'm watching you. I didn't see you do anything. So why, why have you got to do this? The burnt offering, the sacrifice, the altar, was it just to remind them of God's character and God's call on their lives? But it was to point them forward towards a final sacrifice that would come another, well, 537 plus 29 or so. So you get, I mean, it's going to come soon. There will be a final sacrifice, Jesus. The burnt offering, if we go over to Exodus, this is what it looked like. From Exodus chapter 29. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. And when you do that, you get this. And a fourth of a hen of wine, a hen was about a gallon, about four quarts. And a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. Twice a day, Twice a day because God is worthy of our worship in the morning. God's worthy of our worship in the evening. It was a parenthesis on the day and a parenthesis on the night. It was a, this is how you're going to go out through your day worshiping the Lord. This is how we're going to understand the work you did during the day at night as we have another sacrifice. It was to remind them that every single moment of their days and their nights belonged to the Lord. It was an altar of, of sacrifice, of repentance. Repentance is an invitation to joy. It's a beautiful thing. It was, an, it was a sacrifice of repentance, a sacrifice that, that brought them to a place of, of greater faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a sacrifice that reminded them to walk in that newness of life that God had given them because it reminded them of his character. They did this because they were prone to wander and forget, just like we are. 
I don't know about, well, I do know about you. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day. Every day. We have to remind ourselves anew of the gospel, that, that we really are more sinful than we can ever imagine. But God's steadfast love, his hesed, his grace is more wonderful than we will ever know. I think we'll know that fully only when we see him face to face. This altar of, of worship, this altar of sacrifice, repentance, faith, obedience, it is a foreshadowing, a pointing forward towards the Messiah that is to come. This Messiah that loved them with a steadfast love. This word hesed is translated in different ways in, in Scripture. Uh, it's translated as loving kindness, the goodness of the Lord, um, the, the mercy of God. For example, in uh, Micah chapter 6, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to love what? Mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That word mercy is hesed. To walk in mercy, to walk in steadfast love, to walk in loving kindness, to walk in goodness with thy God. Nearly 200 times in the Old Testament, it's translated as steadfast love. Steadfast is, well, it's steadfast. It's unwavering. It's never changing. It's never ending. It's, it's, it's that love that you can't get rid of. You can't lose it. Once, the, once God's love has grabbed you, you can't let go of him, and he's not letting go of you. They were willing to stand at the altar and make these sacrifices because they worship a God of a steadfast love. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see that this God of the steadfast love made a final sacrifice, and the sacrifice of that lamb, that spotless lamb of God, Jesus the Christ. We had that final Passover feast. No more, no more would there be another sacrifice because there was Jesus. He has perfected for all time, Hebrews 10, those who are being sanctified, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It's done, it's over. Jesus repeats that in Matthew chapter 9. That there's one sacrifice, that's it. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My friends, God has called you because of his steadfast love for you. And when you come to him, it is, he has forgiven your sin. He's done away with it. But he calls you to no longer return to that sin, but to walk in that newness of life I love what Corey Ten Boom said, that God has put a, a sign on the edge of, an, of a deep ocean. He's put all your sin there. And the sign says, no fishing allowed. No fishing allowed. No fishing for it because you want to remember it. No fishing for it because you want to engage in it. Be done with it. I promise you, walking in the newness of life that the Father has for you is so much better. He loves you and he's called you. His steadfast love. God desires that he be first in our lives, in our choices, and in our every moment. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for taking away the sin of the world through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we have done nothing to deserve that or earn that. You've poured out your wrath on your son because you poured out your love on us.
Lord, that makes no sense to me, that your love could be that great. Father, I pray that we would know that love even today. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not met you, I pray that you would change that even today. And they would come to know the steadfast love, the hesed, the mercy of the living Lord. And be able to walk in that newness of life that you've given to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.